Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 111 of UAB Green and Told, original debut Monday, November 20th, 2023. Through this podcast, we're able to share stories from members of the UAB community. Want to listen to previous episodes? Check us out at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold on Spotify or the Apple Podcast app. And while you're there, leave a written review that'll help other alums find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and director of communications in the Office of Alumni Affairs. There are times that things can come easy to us. It could be athletics, cooking, or things like art. For the most part, school came easy for today's guest, Emily Jennings. In fact, her interest in science didn't come necessarily because she was good at it. It was because it challenged her. As we'll learn, a lot of Emily's experiences at UAB were aimed at being arduous in order to help her grow academically. But even then, those challenges can be formidable. It really... Well, I kind of crushed my self-esteem, if I'm honest with you, because then it's like, you're not the smartest person in the room anymore. You don't know all these things. How are you going to learn them? But Emily wound up discovering ways to navigate her ambitious workload. For her, it meant taking her academic studies overseas. I decided I wanted to do something like kind of as a, I phrased it to myself as a break. So I was like, all right, so I'm going to go and I'm going to study abroad and do something I've never done before. Ultimately, Emily would return to UAB and complete her undergraduate degree before crossing the Atlantic again. And now, as she'll explain, she's become a mental health advocate in hopes of helping others who may run into struggles of their own. You could just get anxiety from the fact that you have anxiety because you have to talk to somebody about it. Emily Jennings has never shied away from a challenge. In fact, she thrives off obstacles placed in front of her. Her original plan was to attend medical school, but she deviated from that, instead opting to move to Europe to pursue graduate degrees at the VU in Amsterdam and the University of Oxford. For those that know her, living thousands of miles away where she grew up at Spanish Fort, Alabama, is probably not that surprising. After all, as she'll admit, she's always been a bit self-sufficient. I was very independent. (laughs) My parents say that I was not a very easy child to raise because of being very independent. And apparently I got a kick out of that as well. Um, When I was about two, I think, my mom said, hey, you tried to run across the parking lot at McDonald's. And I was like, no, Emily, don't do that. Like there were cars coming. And she said that I just kept laughing and going, ha ha ha, I'm gonna do it anyway. So I guess that's kind of the attitude with which I've approached life so far. (laughs) What drew you into history? I think it's just because I enjoy the stories behind it. I feel like I, I, I guess it's because, so my dad likes history quite a lot. And so when I was like, I can remember watching The Last of the Mohicans when I was like four years old. There were some scenes that I couldn't see. Yeah, no <laughs> That kidding. I was like, you know, fast forward, you know, that kind of thing. But I really loved the music of that. And maybe that musical association also kind of like tied me to the story a bit. And I remember growing up, I used to read a lot of American Girl books. I think I've actually read all of them. And I think the stories of the girls involved in that and like relating to them in some ways really drew me into history. And then once we started learning about state history in third grade, it just kind of, I guess, all went from there. I just found it really fascinating to also think about the, I guess, at the time I wouldn't have phrased it this way, but the social dynamics between the different groups in the like the Southern theater, especially during like the time before the Revolutionary War, right? Yeah. It's very interesting to see just like the interaction between there's the Spanish in the South, and then there's the French to the West, and you've got the British to the North and the East, and then Native Americans all sandwiched in between all of this, and just like how they handled the diplomacy at that time. I guess also because 
I mean, that's where I grew up. That's most of where I've spent most of my life. So yeah, I guess it's just like the growing up in the South and thinking about its history and just noticing things and being fascinated by it. And so I guess a lot of what played a role in why I love history. You changed from history and you got into the sciences. You discovered biology. What was it about biology that kind of was an epiphany or an aha moment for you? It was hard. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I guess up until the ninth grade, school was pretty easy for me. I didn't really, I didn't, I did my homework and all that sort of thing. And I enjoyed it, but I never really felt very challenged, I guess. So when I got to the ninth grade, my first biology class was with Mr. Watt finished for high school, honors biology, and it was made to be this big deal because it was like presented to us as this big challenge. This is a very hard class. All the brightest students do very well and like, oh, that kind of thing. So I was like, you know, I fancied myself as a very bright student, <laughs> given my track record so far. Like, no, I'm going to smash it. It's going to be great. And then I got there and I'm like, wow, this is really difficult because there's so much you have to remember. And it was also just fascinating to learn how the body works and how nature works and these are just things we hadn't really learned before so i guess that's how i got into science but i still very much held on to my um my passion for history but it is an interesting thing to think about why did i not go into history that kind of thing and to be honest i almost switched back to it at oh, the really? end of my university yeah so i went to university i came to uab to study neuroscience and I think I was motivated to do that because in the in the third year of high school, I took an AP psychology class. But my high school, we didn't really have very many AP classes. So we had a few that were in person. Like we had AP US history. We had AP literature, AP government. But we were pretty restricted in terms of like the range that we offered. So you could take some classes online. So I took the AP psych class online. And I became really fascinated by just human psychology and just like how we think and why we do things. And then I got really into like the science behind that. Because like every psychology class is bits about how does the brain actually do this sort of thing. And then that brought in what I learned in biology. And I was like, this is just fascinating. So there was that. And at the same time, my grandmother, who was honestly like my second mother, um, she had had breast cancer. And then we had found out that it had metastasized to her brain. So... It was, um, it was a difficult time, but I guess it also kind of motivated me in learning more about it because I was just, I wanted to know what was happening to my grandmother, right? So that's how I got into neuroscience. And I think that's part of why, that's part of why I applied to the neuroscience program. So I had the ambition of then going to medical school and um, I jumped back and forth a bit between wanting to do neurosurgery and wanting to do neurology. I really love neurosurgery the most. It's really cool to go watch someone operate on a human brain. There is no other experience like that. That is for sure. But I don't think I would have coped very well with the lifestyle. Because of my AP credits previously in high school, I didn't have to take any history or literature, that sort of classes when I got to UAB. I thought at first, oh, this is great. Look, I can just go do all science, right? But I think that was actually a really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> because I really miss the humanities. I don't feel very human anymore, if you will. I don't know. I, I love science, but I started to feel really burnt out. So I, um, I got to my third year and I was like, I need to pull more human interaction into my 
career or like how I approach things. So then I got into public health, but I decided I wanted to do something like kind of as a, I phrased it to myself as a break. So I was like, all right, so I'm going to go and I'm going to study abroad and do something I've never done before. So I went to the University of Sterling. I was one of the first students on our exchange with them. And that is my life changing experience, to be quite honest with you, because I went there and I took all history courses in one literature course. And I was like, wow, I, I kind of feel alive again, in a way. And I, yeah, I, I almost transferred to the University of Sterling and did a history degree in oh, wow. British history. Oh, wow. But yeah, I didn't do that. I was like, I have done so much so far. I'm almost done. I, have, I think I had one more class to take to fulfill my neuroscience degree. And I was like, if I don't just go back and finish it, I'll regret it. So I came back. Most people, when they are in high school and even, you know, at the start of college, having that challenge isn't something that really pops up into their, their mind. They want to do something that really intrigues them. Now, you did that too, but you wanted to be challenged at the same time. Where does that challenge come from? I honestly don't know. I think, um, I don't know. I feel like I kind of do this in all aspects of my life and I don't exactly recommend it because you don't want to be challenged in every area of your life. You you can become quite miserable that way. But I guess I kind of feel like I have to live on the edge a bit. I don't know if that's a good way to phrase it. I feel like I, I it keeps life exciting, I guess you could say. When you started to apply to colleges right at the end of your high school career, what were you looking for and, and what drew you to UAB? Academic rigor of I mean, that was probably the biggest thing. The I challenge again. Yeah, a challenge again. I wanted to go somewhere where I thought, okay, I'm going to be among people that I've never really been among before, different types of people. UAB was the most diverse college that I had visited. And I was like, okay, there's lots of people here to talk to and like learn about and see what their life experience has been like. But I think the big thing was the science because having come from a school where that wasn't something that we were very strong with, I wanted to go to a science school and that's what UAB is. I mean, I think the connection with the neuroscience department, with the medical school and the graduate school was super duper attractive. And I was like, oh wow, I can actually go and speak to scientists and doctors rather than those are gonna be my professors. That would be so cool. And I think that's a lot of what then drew me to Birmingham. And at UAB, you're a part of the Honors College. Talk about your experience and how it's helped you in your career path, in the other stops in academia and, and your professional career. So I guess you could say the Honors College is where all of my niche interests were born because of the opportunity to speak to other people who had different backgrounds and who were, were really encouraging in terms of like being exploratory and looking to things you find interesting. While I was in Scotland, I came across the field of neuroarchaeology because I was like, what can I do with neuroscience and also the humanities? And this was the solution to that. And it was fascinating. And so I actually made a little presentation about the research that I did into it. And then I presented that at the NCUR conference in Memphis that year or that spring. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think over the course of my undergrad experience, going to those conferences probably had the biggest impact on just like meeting people and thinking outside the box as well. So I started going to those conferences when I was actually in my first term at UAB. I went to the Southern Regional Honors Conference in New Orleans, 2013. That was really cool. I actually met my who, the person who was my partner for all of university while I was there. So that was, you know, a very interesting time. 
I think going to those conferences, meeting people, getting involved in the Honors College, and just having that community of people who really supported exploring, challenging yourself, finding new things, is a large part, I think, why I kind of have developed as I have, especially in terms of like how I've approached my career. Fast forward to the summer after my third year of university, so the summer before I went to Scotland, I was in Guatemala doing some public health internship, basically. Okay. And uh, Michelle Cook, who was at the Honors College at the time, reached out and said, hey, we think you'd be a great candidate for the Fulbright. Do you want to apply? And I was like, "Why? What? what's the Fulbright? <laughs> what would I do, right? And she's like, here's what it is. And like, look into it and find what you think. So I was sitting in my mosquito net and I was like, all right, what can I find here? What is the Fulbright? And I found a program in a master's degree in neuroscience at the Freie Universiteit Amsterdam. And it had a scholarship that was specifically, like a Fulbright scholarship that was specifically for that university. And I was like, all right, that could be cool. Because I was thinking along the lines this time of, okay, I'm, you know, I'm already uncertain about medical school mm -hmm. and trying to still kind of figure out what am I going to do? This is the point where I've already decided that I'm going to go to Scotland. So I want to have this break. I'm exploring public health and trying to find other avenues of like how to, you know, go about a career. I was like, well, I think a master's degree is it never hurts to specialize a little bit more. Mm -hmm. It buys me two years to kind of think about what I want to do, go a little bit more in depth, maybe think less about the medical side of things and maybe think more about the public health side of things or think more about just the research side of things and like explore something that I have never learned before. I uh, was interested in the genetics of different neurodegenerative pediatric diseases. And so I was like, this, you know, um, universities is really great about genetics and neuroscience. They're one of the best in the world. So let's just go there and see what it's like. So I go to this master's program and Funny enough, so in my Fulbright grant application, I said, I want to go to this master's program to study, uh, to learn more about like, the gen genetic side of neuroscience. And I show up and lo and behold, they cancel that side of the program. Oh, no. It was only me and one other person who had been interested in that track. And there's like, yeah, well, you're the only two. So we're just not going to go do it anymore. And I'm like, that's not fair. I came all the way here for that. So what I wound up doing is befriending the um, Department of Behavioral Psychology, who was basically who provided those courses anyway. And I did two internships with them and took some classes with them. And we actually wrote a paper together. My master's thesis was um, a paper on the heritability of the vocal tract. I studied in the set of Dutch twins, mm -hmm. or I guess more like a population of Dutch twins, if you will. It's a pretty good example. We talked about challenges and, and you like facing challenges. When it came to the Honors College, it's set up a little differently than the rest of the curriculum at UAB. Talk a little bit about your experience and what you were able to kind of gather to bolster yourself personally. Ashley Floyd was, um, I think, an associate professor at the university at the time. And she had uh, like an Honors College seminar course about, so it was kind of just an introdu introduction to university course, really. Okay. There's a lot of different things we talked about there. But part of that was doing a project that lets you just explore something you've never thought about before. So I think I picked Hinduism because I was like, you know, I've heard of this, but I don't really know what... I grew up in a Christian home, which has its own you know, view of the world. So I can't say that I was really exposed to very many other views. 
So I was like, you know what? This is a completely different world perspective and I want to learn more about it. So that's why I kind of covered for my project. I was like, what is it? How does it work? What's it like for people who are Hindus in the world? I guess that mentality of like exploring something you're unfamiliar with and potentially uncomfortable with is I think what really is the honors college curriculum. Like the idea of looking for something that you don't know anything about and that really pushes you out of your comfort zone. I think I tried to carry that forward because looking back, I don't think I have done, I don't think I have done very much within my comfort zone over the last five years. It's kind of reached a point where I'm like, okay, I probably need to chill out a little bit and get into more of a settled life. I'm getting a little older now. You go from having an interest in history to studying neuroscience, and then along the way, somewhere you became a mental health advocate. Why? My own mental health experiences and those of my friends, to be honest with you. Yeah. So when I was in university, I my second year was really hard. I think, I mean, organic chemistry was notorious for not being an easy course. I took honors organic chemistry with Dr. Nichols, and she's amazing. However, her course was very tough. And my year before that, the freshman year was difficult in that I was having to really study things and learn how to study things that I had never had to study before, really think about. It really, well, I kind of crushed my self-esteem, if I'm honest with you, because then it's like, you're not the smartest person in the room anymore. You don't know all these things. How are you going to learn them? You're not making the grades that you are accustomed to making. Who are you? Um, so getting to my second year and still feeling that it was quite challenging was a, yeah, it was a mental health experience. It brought on a lot of anxiety and I would say depression at one point. I actually tried antidepressants for a little bit. I didn't really like them, but it brought me into the world of mental health in a way that I never had to think about before. That, th at the end of my second year, I was really sick and I wasn't, I didn't really know why or what I was sick with. So I went to the doctor and they were like, they were afraid that I might have had meningitis. So they did a spinal tap and it actually really messed my back up and like my, my brain as well. Not my brain, but basically the reduction in spinal fluid was such that my brain would kind of sag and it was extremely painful and you get what's called a spinal headache from that. So I couldn't really sit up for very long during the day sometimes because of that. And that went on for about two weeks. And this, unfortunately, is also around the same time of um, the last month of the term. So trying to prepare for finals and this sort of thing. And I had already had a challenging term trying to do things that, you know, I just didn't have the, I guess, natural ability to be very, very good at or wasn't really exposed to before. There was that, my grades not being super great that term, they were all right. And then the spinal tap and that just kind of really ruined things for me a little bit in terms of, I guess, how I was thinking about things. I think there is this pressure of anyone who wants to go to medical school that you have to have a particular GPA. My GPA was very much thrown off track. And I was like, what am I going to do with my life now, right? And then, you know, life just throws things at you sometimes. And your friends have experiences sometimes. And you have to really face the world and grow up in a way that you don't when you live with your parents. As a mental health advocate, what do you do now to kind of spread the word and draw attention? I've recently set up a mental health community interest company in the UK. 
that it's set up as a signposting service. It was actually born out of a community called the Effective Autism Community, which I became uh, familiar with whenever I was studying in Oxford. So the idea of this signposting service is to provide um, an outlet for people to just say, hey, I'm really having a hard time with this. What do you know of that I could find helpful? And kind of directing them in that direction. Taking out basically the, the middle step of them having to spend hours and hours, maybe days, weeks, looking for things and trying them. That's the other thing. And it can be very demoralizing when you've tried so many different things and it still hasn't seemed to help anything and you just don't know what to do anymore. So kind of having someone say, maybe try this, maybe try that. Have you thought about this? You know, and like ask a series of questions that make you think about things maybe you hadn't thought about before. I think, I hope that that will provide a lot of value. What I really wanted to do with it is make it into an app so that people can uh, just kind of like thought of form that then will like suggest to them a series of, I don't want to say items, but suggestions of what could be helpful to them in their particular situation and make that something that's accessible to anyone in the world. Because I think that's the other thing. It's just like the barrier to getting to that knowledge can be so high. So just trying to reduce that in as much of a way as I can. Today, you got two things going on. You got the mental health navigator and you're also a dialogue designer for Poly AI. Talk a little bit about that because there you're building superhuman voice assistants. So how did you even get into that? That's a good question. So. Once I finished my neuroscience degree in the Netherlands, I was really interested in human emotions. I think that came from, actually partly from, some mental health difficulties when I was first, when I first moved there. And a very different attitude to emotions that I hadn't experienced before. One of my professors, I guess you would say very stoic, and I didn't feel like there was very much a room for emotional expression. And I also feel like maybe I am a little hypersensitive and overly emotional sometimes, but I guess that's the beauty of human behavior. It's a spectrum. There's not just, you know, A and B. I wanted to study emotions. There wasn't very much space for that in neuroscience per se, at least not at the university I was at. Um, and it seems like not really in the literature. There's a blooming field at the time called cultural neuroscience. And that had more of an approach that I was interested in. But a key highlight of that was the humanities. So I was like, okay, I need to get a humanities degree. I need to understand how they do this sort of thing. So I was really interested in like neuroimaging and how we can use that to study emotions and that sort of thing. But it just didn't have the resolution that you need to really get to the nitty gritty of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it still doesn't really. There's been a lot of advances, but I was still like, this isn't really going to cut it. I need to be able to study a diverse multicultural set of people to understand this because you know it varies so much per culture and at the time and still now i'm sure neuroscience is very hom homogenous in terms of the population that it looks into can't really generalize all of its results to the rest of the world i was like okay well methods aren't there right now so let's see what you know humanities do because that is what they do they do study multiple cultures and they understand like differences between them there's between languages and then I was thinking about well how do we what do I use to study emotions right if I can't look at the brain what else is there and the answer is language that's how you express emotions right 
and language isn't just the words we use it's what we say in terms of like how we express things on our face like what expression do i have on my face right now am i happy am i sad do i look you know kind of upset mm -hmm. that's an emotion so um i decided okay let's do a master's in linguistics and the university of oxford's a pretty good place for that so let's go there <laughs> So um, I did a, a degree in linguistics at the University of Oxford, and while I was there, uh, I made some friends who, after we finished our degree, one of them went on to a position at Poly.ii, and he actually finished his degree a year before I did. So by the time I had finished, he landed this job, and he put into our um, our degree WhatsApp group. He said, "All right, um, we're hiring, and I think you guys could all be great for it. So apply." <laughs> And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I think I'm going to apply, right? Because I had actually just finished my degree a few months before. I applied for the position, and now I work at a tech startup in conversational AI. That's just incredible. Here you are, a young alum that has a degree from UAB, one from a university in Amsterdam, and then Oxford. Where are you going to be 15, 20 years down the road? Are you even thinking that? Think of the new challenges that are going to be lying ahead? Yeah, I really want to go back to academia. Okay. I'm enjoying working in industry and seeing what it's like to do something different. Because I mean, I have been in academia technically for the last like 10 years. And I wanted a bit of a break to see what it's like to do something else and just do a few more things like in my personal life that I would not otherwise have the chance to do. That's what I want to do for the next few years. And until I become a British citizen, <laughs> That's been one of my goals since I studied in Scotland, actually. Um, and so by the time I'm 35, I should have that down. And yeah, I think at that point, I want to go back and do a PhD. And I do want to go back to studying emotions and I guess being an educator in that sense as well. That's Emily Jennings, a 2017 graduate of the College of Arts and Sciences and Honors College, where she earned her bachelor's degree in neuroscience. Today, she lives in England and is director of the Mental Health Navigator and dialogue designer for Poly AI. While she may be thousands of miles away, she definitely still has a great idea of what it means to be a blazer. To be innovative, to be excited, to be adventurous, to try things you have never tried before and not just put a toe, but your whole body outside your comfort zone. Because that's the best way you're going to learn anything, to be honest with you. And I think that's the the best lesson that UAB taught me. So that to me, that's what it means to be a blazer. Go beyond. Go outside your comfort zone. Be sure to check out past episodes of the UAB Green and Told podcast. Listen in at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share or know someone who does? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers!